Welcome to Awaken to Sleep Education. Cool. Well, hey, folks, let's get started. We're going to have a couple more people join as we continue on. But today we're going to be talking about how to handle objections in your sleep program. Um, now, we brought Dr. Greg Manning into the conversation. Uh, Greg is a DSM veteran since 2010. Um, he's been doing sleep for a good long while, and he's really good at it. He actually um, has a fully operational sleep program, and he's recently really revamped his sleep program with a new website and a bunch of different crazy things. Uh, he's very experienced. He knows the ins and outs of medical insurance. Um, I guess that's not entirely accurate. You have a team that knows the ins and outs of medical insurance. <laughs> I was say, but please no asking me questions because my team has all gone home for the night. So <laughs> so he's, he's here to help answer questions. Him and I are going to be going through uh, the so, several questions, actually all of which are designed around questions that you submitted or other practices submitted when they enrolled in this webinar. If we don't get to your question at the end, uh, make sure you put in the chat. And if we have time, we'll get to it. If we don't, we'll have an opportunity for you to schedule a call with the coach to go through your objections that you're experiencing with your patients. We'll make sure that you do not get your questions unanswered. Uh, but with that, Greg, do you want to kind of kick us off? Tell us what we're here to learn about and, and just share some of your experience as well. Yeah, you know, and here's the thing. I wanted to kind of just start off. And in fact, I was just talking to Chad about this before we jumped on. You know, anytime you um, you have a webinar that's designed to talk about the potential negativity associated with what you're going to be doing. You know, we're talking about objections and, and whether we're full-time sleep dentists or whether we have a dental practice that we're doing the drill and fill and, and then trying to incorporate sleep, we know there's always going to be objections. And so it's, you know, it's the not fun part of our job. So I just wanted to make sure that before we started and, and knowing we're heading down a road of potential negativity that, one, not everything that we are going to do in dental sleep medicine is going to fall in these categories. Um, in fact, I would say that some of the dental or the objections that we're going to hear are going to be probably the minority of patients that we see. You know, I think that more than objections and fighting and convincing and all of these kind of things that we'll at times have to do with some of our sleep patients. I think more than anything, I've noticed so often that I'm putting the reins on things or trying to keep, you know, people are so happy, they're ready, they're excited, they're hoping that they can do this, they're, they're wanting it so badly and, and needing it so badly that, that some of these objections are, would seem silly if you were to bring those up with some of those patients, you know, when we start talking about some of the objections, you know, there's so many of the patients that are so eager to get started that, if you were to say, hey, I'm doing a webinar on people that are worried about payment or they're worried about efficacy, you know, they would probably laugh and say, geez, I just want to get going. I just want to get started. So as we head into talking about some of the pitfalls, negativities, objections, that kind of stuff, just know that that is not, or at least for us in the past, has not been the lion's share of our sleep patients. But I think because there are a handful of these patients that exist and there's gonna be a handful of, of objections that we do see, we might as well talk about it. The other thing is, is that I, I guess in a way, I find myself in the same boat as many of you guys. I got to work this morning at 7.30 and I have a decently busy restorative general dentistry practice that we've incorporated sleep into. And so all day long, I, I have the same issues that everybody else has. 
the last thing I would want you to think is like, oh, this guy's going to come on here and he's going to think he's so great and he knows everything about my practice and he's going to be able to just, that's not what we're trying to do. Um, if anything, we're trying to do the opposite. We're trying to say, hey, look, I'm in the trenches every single day with all of you guys. We, I'm seeing the same crap. I'm having the same successes. I'm having the same failures. I'm having the same objections and highs and lows that we all have as dentists. Um, the other thing that I want to make sure that we talk about is that not every single thing we say that we're going to use to overcome objections is going to work on every single patient. Hopefully by the end of today, we really just talk more about some verbiage we can use, a couple of avenues that we can maybe explore, maybe talk about a few ideas that maybe we haven't had, or maybe we can explore a little deeper, um, knowing that not every single thing we say here is going to be magic bullet that's going to just pierce the hearts of every single one of our objecting patients. And so um, that was just kind of a little bit of a disclaimer as far as <clears throat> talking about negative subjects, knowing that this is not all negative. You know, one of the things that Chad and I were talking about just a minute ago is that in my dental practice, I've never had anybody stand up after I gave them the most beautiful DO composite on number 19, where I carve in tertiary anatomy. And I really take the time to polish this thing up nice to where it's just absolutely beautiful. After I've put in all this time and effort on a DO on 19, nobody stands up and is so thrilled with all of the effort I've put in to this deal on 19 and wants to just give me a hug and tell me what a great dentist I am. And they're so happy they found me because that was the ultimate deal on 19 they've ever had. Nobody does that. But when you get involved with dental sleep, you will have patients that come in and tell you that you've changed their life. You will get hugs, you'll get kisses, you'll get little old ladies telling you that they're feeling great and little old men telling you that they're back in their beds with their little old ladies. And you just get a lot of a lot of positivity um, associated with dental sleep. There is a little bit of a CD underbelly that comes along with finances, insurance, objections, you know, and that's what we're going to talk about today is that that minority little underbelly. But just know as we go through that, don't get bogged down in the weeds of some of these objections and negativities and think like maybe this isn't for me or maybe I don't want to get involved in this as much as I thought I did. You do. This is a good thing. And, and there's a lot of help out there for you to get good at this. But from here, we're gonna talk about a couple of things that might roadblock us, might stumble us up. And in fact, I think earlier today, Chad, we were talking about a case study that you had yeah. that, that we probably gotta go through before we do much else. Yeah, and actually you reminded me of disclaimers. I forgot all my disclaimers. So real quick, this is a CE event. So you are gonna get a survey at the end of the day today or end of our hour today. Uh, that's gonna give you a quick survey 15 to 20 seconds to finish that survey and you'll get a CE in your inbox. If you don't get a CE, it's usually because people didn't fill out the form. Uh, if you don't get it from there, check your spam. If not, give us a call. And then from going uh, after that, we want to thank our sponsors for who make this all possible. Uh, they, they help bring this education to light. So we got Prosomnus, Dental Sleep Profits, Sleep Apnea Leads, Kettenbach, and also Nierman. Uh, so I have a question. Who do we recommendation for a billing company? Um, Nearman is a solid company. They've got some really cool stuff uh, that they offer. So if you want an introduction to those, let us know. We do have some different pieces for you. So let's jump to that case study. Um, objection handling and, and its impact. Um, this is a practice that worked with us. They're brand new to dental sleep medicine. They had kind of thought about it before. People had asked them about it, but they had actually never done a home sleep test. They had never done an appliance and they had gotten, gotten started. And, and so this is actually last year. And in month one, um, they were kind of testing their team, some family members. They got some really good momentum. 
they got good into month two. And then month three, they ran into the topic of our webinar tonight, objections. They ran into some of the, just a bunch of questions like medical insurance and, and these different pieces, which are not obstacles that kill a program and if, if you know how to handle them. And so we did a training just like this for their practice and our coaching. And it, you can see there's an incremental growth um, in their practice. And in six months, they generated over $130,000 um, and, and no small part to being able to equip their team with some of the tools we're going to go through tonight. And like Greg said, it's not a, it's not a, a silver bullet. There's not any silver bullets out there. Um, it's a bunch of lead ones. It's, it's the fact that we have to have the ability to navigate these obstacles and these objections and have answers for patients. And so that's what we're going to jump into. As I mentioned earlier, uh, we took your objections and built the PowerPoint to meet the needs of your teams that you submitted. So we're going to go through. Um, we didn't, we couldn't list every single question. There's quite a few of you guys who registered. So we are going to go through uh, kind of a generalized question. And if you don't feel like we hit your question tonight, go and put your question in the question answer um, tab on, actually, I think it's on the bottom for your screens. And uh, we'll try and get to that tonight. And if not, like I said, we can talk to you uh, sometime in the future. All right. Objection number one. Um, patients who say, I don't think I have a problem. Now, for clarity, this is when this happens in two different places. Uh, it can happen when you're trying to tell the patient they need a test. It's the most frequent place. And it can actually happen when you're reviewing the home sleep test results with the patient, although it happens far less frequently there because by this time you've usually qualitatively proven that they have a medical condition. Um, so Greg, you're in the chair or not, you're in the chair, the patient's in the chair, you come in, you're doing your hygiene check or you're talking to the patient and they say, I don't think I have a problem. What, what do you or your team do? What do you, what do you say when this obstacle comes up? Well, you came in with a hot one. This is probably one of the hardest ones. Um, and I think along with this one, I, and maybe I think I remember there being a slide about this. So maybe I'll combine them and we kind of move past that second slide. So often when we are screening patients as dentists, we may be the first person to ever talk to them about that. We may be the first person to ever try to dive into what's happening while they're sleeping based on things that we see when we're doing an oral exam, um, when we're looking at health history, when we're looking at it through those lenses of, hey, I'm not just a, you know, like an oral custodian, you know, I'm also a dental sleep dentist or a sleep dentist, you know, once we start putting on both of those hats, we may start asking questions that their general physician doesn't ask. And so oftentimes this objection that is, I don't have a problem comes along with why is my dentist asking me this and not my physician asking me this? Um, I think those two kind of go hand in hand. And I think those two are some of the more difficult ones. If we start with the easier of those two, like why is my dentist talking about this and not my physician? Um, I think that we need to educate the patient, let them know like, hey, look, general medicine is, and we don't necessarily have to say it this way, but general medicine is broken. General medicine is broke up, broken up into five minute time slots that you are allowed to see your physician. And when those time slots are out, you feel that if you're ever with your doctor and you know that your five or 10 minute time slot is over, you will feel the, the, the panic and the, I need to get out of here kind of thing. Unfortunately, 
if you don't come in talking to them about a problem, they may not ask you about potential problems. They may look at labs and tests and know how to treat that with a pill or know how to navigate things with diet and exercise. And they'll give you that canned answer really quickly. But so often they don't take the time to deep dive into all of these other things that allow us to maybe self-reflect. Hey, is Maybe this is due to this, maybe it's due to that. So there is a certain amount with this one, there's a certain amount of education that has to happen, which is why I call it hard to talk to somebody about this takes a little bit of time. Um, we have to know a little bit about sleep apnea. We need to know what causes it. We need to know what some of the signs, symptoms and comorbidities are. And we can start to navigate that with those patients and say, look, look, I, and this is something that we've done quite a bit. You can say, you know, sleep apnea happens while we're asleep. So we don't always notice that. We don't always know unless a bed partner is telling us that. So we have to start looking at other signs and symptoms of that. And here are a couple of things I'm seeing, you know, whether that's I grind, you're grinding your teeth at night, you know, you ask them if they snore, they're waking up with headaches, all of these kind of things. We start to kind of piece together that maybe they do have a problem, even though they haven't really thought about this as a sleep problem. You know, mm -hmm. hey, I'm tired all the time. Well, I got little kids or, you know, my mm -hmm. job, I wake up really early. So we kind of have to help them understand what the problem is. And I think that's a very difficult thing to do, which is why I say this is a hard one. Um, but I think talking about the comorbidities, some of the other things that go along with sleep, help them to understand that they have a problem. Now, one of the things that we want to do, obviously, is get them tested. We wanna move them towards testing. Um, it is very difficult to look at an objective test that shows that there is a problem and argue with that. So, mm -hmm. you know, many times we've done that where we've tried to get them and they'll say, yeah, I don't know, I don't really feel like that. And he's like, yeah, you know, you have enough of the signs and symptoms and some of the comorbidities. I will often say, God, you kind of have something that walks like a duck and quacks like a duck. And that duck just happens to be maybe a sleep related breathing issue or an airway issue while you're sleeping. You know, it kind of walks and quacks like a sleep related breathing issue or an airway issue. It would be awesome if we could test you to see. And, and then once you can get them to that testing piece of things, it's, it's hard to argue with objective data. Like, hey, you did this test, you put this machine on, this machine is telling us this, this is what happens when you're not conscious and you're not knowing what's going on. So yeah, this is a tough one, but I think education, education is really the way to go. And again, are you going to win with everybody? No. Just like with dental, how many times do we take pictures of cracked teeth? We show them pictures of cavities on x-rays. We show them problems that they're having with their gums and, and bleeding and pus and all this kind of stuff. And they still don't do the treatment. So mm -hmm. just know if you get this person and it's starting to cause a uh, friction in an exam, look, you cannot care about these things more than the patients care about their own health. So don't hurt your practice and don't hurt your reputation by forcing yourself on these people, but education, education, and try to move them towards a test. Chad, what do you think? I mean, as the coach, is that what kind of you're telling your clients? Yeah. So, I mean, some of you guys have actually asked some of these questions in here too, but this one was for the patients that the questions we got are, I'm feeling stressed, so I don't have sleep apnea. That's I'm, it's stress. It's not sleep apnea or I don't have sleep apnea. I'm, I don't have any of these signs, you know, they're just in denial or, um, or really what it is, is they've been fighting with their spouse about snoring and you just accidentally enter that argument. Uh, you know, that's, that's a thing. So I have a couple verbiage pieces for you. The first one, Greg actually said this and, and you may have missed it is airway. We don't talk about sleep apnea because no one has sleep apnea. If you ask 10 people, if they have sleep apnea, nine of them will say, I don't. 
And that's just statistically impossible. So we say airway, we have an airway concern. The other thing is, is our next one is actually about the medical doctor. So we'll come back to that. We have a couple of follow-up questions in the chat about that too, but let's bring it back to dental. Let's bring it back to dental. We know that there's substantial amount of intraoral signs that are related to an airway disorder or an airway concern. Bruxism, uh, tongue scalloping, acid reflux, red and inflamed gums. These are all things that could be related to an airway concern. And so you can say something to the effect of, you know, Tom, I'm honestly just concerned that there's an airway problem that's impacting the restorative work I'm providing. I don't want to make you another crown. I don't want to have to repair the filling that was damaged by your grinding at night. And I want to make sure to rule out that there's an airway concern. And in order to do that, we've got to do a test. So that's another verbiage piece. We always rule out the thing we're trying to test for. Um, and then the third thing, and this is a whole training. So I'm just going to drop this. We actually have a bunch of stuff on our website about it, I believe, but it's called hero positioning. The pain is the villain and the patient is the hero. We need to help them see that there's a problem and just share it. It's an empathizing with their pain. And then from there, actually uh, giving them the opportunity to fight the pain, you know, giving them a tool to do that. And that's what that is. So that's a whole nother training. Uh, but that that's a structure and it's what Greg said. It's empathizing, educating with them and then showing them what's next on there. Uh, David actually asked a question. Can dentists legally administer and interpret HSTs in all states, specifically Pennsylvania? Um, I'll just take that real quick, Greg, because you're in Arizona. I'm, I'm in all 50 states. So uh, as a coach, um, dentists cannot own and operate equipment in all 50 states, only 47. Uh, I'm sorry, 48. Georgia just uh, appealed their opinion recently. Yeah, awesome. Um, so there's a couple opinions out there, but there's only two states that have actual laws with their dental boards. Uh, and the other thing is you said interpret. Dentists cannot ever interpret a home sleep test. That requires a medical license. So you could use a company like Awaken to Sleep. We do, we have physicians in all 50 states who will interpret home sleep test results for your home sleep test. So in an office such as Greg's, they hand out the home sleep test frequently. They submit those results to an interpretation service like ours. We get them back a diagnosis, a letter of medical necessity within uh, 72 hours of that upload. So yeah, a great question, David. Thank you for uh, jumping in with that. Yeah, do you want to just tell the two states that are currently not able to do that now that George is back on? Yep, uh, New York and New Jersey, both the news. So those ones, um, there's a couple states that have opinions where they don't like dentists, but they have not said as a law, those states have said, don't do it. Uh, so if you want a question on that, again, schedule a call the coach. We're happy to discuss the particulars with you. So please don't, if you have home sleep studies, please never do a home sleep test and don't have that read by a physician. That's just liability. It's not worth 90 bucks. Just get it read. I'll say that and then, and full stop. All right. We we've kind of talked some about this, but let's look at objection. Number two, my medical doctor is not concerned about my sleep. And I'm going to follow it up because we have a question from Kristen. It says that the physician, the patient tested, and then the, the physician said, you're okay. You don't have a problem. Um, and real quick, I'm going to hand off to Greg, but you said something and I'm going to give a slightly better verbiage. I better in my opinion. I don't know. You said, you know, the medical system is broken. Let's say, let's say, the medical insurance is overwhelmed, okay? Since the pandemic, they're overwhelmed. I feel like that's a little bit more fair. It gives them a defensible position, and yeah. it also puts you as a position to help assist the medical 
industry. But yeah, Greg, what if we're being honest, it, it's broken because it's overwhelmed. You know what yeah. I mean? It's and I say broken, but it is because it's overwhelmed. There's just there's no there's no living to be made anymore by some of these physicians unless it's volume, and volume mm -hmm. means that they cannot sit down and talk to you the way they need to. Yeah, for sure. So what do you say when uh, when whether the patient is pre-test or post-test and the and the physician is not concerned or or the patient thinks the physician is not concerned? Well, post-test is easy because if you have a test um, and we're talking again, probably at this point about a about like a primary care physician, you know, like a primary care physician, potentially, you know, somebody that you see on a regular basis. Um if it's post-test, that's very easy. Absolutely give them a copy of that test. Give them a copy of the boarded sleep physician's interpretation and letter of medical necessity. Let them know you take this to them. And if your doctor can take and look at an objective test that's signed by a boarded sleep physician, and then look you in the face and tell you that you don't have a problem with sleep, then you have a problem with your primary care physician. That's just a, that is a powerful stance to have if you've got a post-test interpretation by a boarded sleep physician. Now, if you don't, um, I think what we were just talking about is a good place to start. I think mm -hmm. saying, look, I wished every doctor had a chance to look into every potential thing that's going on. You know, a lot of times our younger patients are the ones that put these up because they have youth on their side, you know, apnea being an issue of musculature and, and tightening and things like that of the airway. You know, sometimes the youth that we have on our side is, is helpful to us because we still have some some tonicity in these muscles and they're not getting as droopy. And so some of our younger patients, you know, our physicians don't stress about them as much. And so they don't bring it up as much and, you know, I'm not super proud of it, but at like age 42, I got diagnosed with like pre-hypertension. I had to put me on a little pill to help out with that. Uh, never, not once did my physician ask me, um, and he refers to me, by the way, he refers <laughs> patients to me, um, sleep patients he put me on a, um, on a, uh, a blood pressure medication without even asking me anything about my sleep habits. I also talked to him about the fact that over the last, you know, like seven or eight years I've put on weight and struggled to get it off and didn't say anything to me at all about sleep because it just takes time. It's just time they don't have. It's like, man, hypertension, pill, high cholesterol, pill, diabetes, pill. That is what happens when a system gets overwhelmed is we look for path of least resistance, quickest way in, quickest way out. It's not malpractice. It's just quick practice. And I think we can do better. I think physicians know they can do better too, but they also know that they can't in the time that they have. They can't with the reimbursements that they're getting. They're too overwhelmed. That's led to this broken system. So I'm not saying to come in and tell them that their doctor is a quack and that he's, you know, he's running amok, but I think they need to know like, hey, I think they would talk to you about this if they had the time. I think if you told him some of the symptoms that we're talking about right now, and you showed him your Epworth that we gave you, or you were to show him this, I think that you might have a different conversation with your doctor. I've told patients that bring this up to me all the time. I'd say, I would love to talk to your doctor and let them know why I'm concerned. And maybe we can mutually discuss like something that might be beneficial to you, whether that's an airway issue or not an airway issue. There's things that are going on that I don't love. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And they could affect your dental treatment. They could affect your general health. And so those are some of the things that I will, anytime they want to use their doctor as the roadblock, I like to let them know their doctor cares about them. 
wants the best for them, struggles because of the, again, overwhelmed nature of general medicine to be able to get through all of this stuff with you. But if they knew what we're talking about, they would absolutely want to explore it. So if we can, let's explore it. Or if you and I want to explore this and then take him a report back, absolutely, let's do it. I always tell my patients that whatever we do in the world of sleep, their doctor, their primary care will have a letter or a follow-up or some kind of communication to let them know what we're doing. We're not trying to slide behind their back. We're not trying to do any of that kind of stuff. We're trying to co-treat the same patient mm. and look for general health. Yeah. And I mean, Greg just said something and I, I, just to pull this out, Greg, every physician that doesn't understand the impact of sleep is an opportunity for every dentist on this call. Absolutely. If, I, if you are a part of our newsletter that we just, to last Tuesday or Thursday, last Thursday, we sent out a copy, a free copy of the Wisconsin sleep cohort that shows that mild to moderate sleep apnea have increased prevalence of death earlier in life. Go grab that study from the newsletter and download it. And then whenever a patient says that, get their MD and fax that over with your information saying, please call me. I want to talk about this. Yeah. That is a 18 year study with like several thousand, 1800 patients, I believe that shows how important this is. And it actually shows those in treatment and those not in treatment. And it's incredible just to see what happens. Yeah, I love what you said, Chad, because I, I think the more I'm even thinking about it right now, anytime somebody wants to bring their general physician into this, their, their primary care physician, or maybe even they have a cardiologist or pulmonologist, you know, whatever, somebody that they see frequently, that just screams opportunity. Um, not just from a marketing standpoint and trying to develop relationships with doctors, but it, it just gives the chance to open up bigger dialogue because they're obviously having some dialogue with their, with their primary care physician or whoever they're seeing. Mm -hmm. um, and, and this is going overlooked. And, and now we've got a second set of eyes. Look, there's nothing makes me happier than if I send somebody to a surgeon or an endodontist or something as a dentist and they look at something and they see something and they send that back and say, Hey, what do you think about this? And now there's been two sets of eyes. I always feel like that patient's getting some really good treatment at that point, because we just can't do and say and see and be everything for these patients. So neat opportunity, actually, I would almost look at this as opportunity versus objection. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and the same issue as our last one. They don't know enough. I, I was at the physician yesterday trying to get my CPAP. And I said, I have an app worth of over 10. And the PA looked at me like, what's an app worth? <laughs> what did that, what, what did you just used to say to me? Like, and they just don't know because they're overwhelmed. So we're going to speed up a little bit because we're trying to give you everything we can on all these. If you want to go deeper into these, let us know. Um, but let's, we've still got quite a few to go. Uh, Dr. Gosh, we will send a, uh, I'll say this, if you get your CE certificate and you want a copy of that survey, just go ahead and respond for us so we can send to everyone in that way. Uh, that's a link. It's kind of, we don't like to share that in avenues like this. So go ahead and give, it, give us an email, Dr. Kendra, and we'll, we'll get you set up there. All right. Um, I'm going to tag on Donnie's question as well. Hopefully I said her name right. Um, how much does it cost and can dentists bill insurance for tests? Greg, you want to take it away? Yeah. So, um, when we talk about how much does it cost and we added the question, can dentists bill for sleep tests? Let's talk about the two different things that people would be asking about cost. We'll start with home sleep testing. Um, home sleep testing can be your best friend because once that's done and you have results back, you, you sort of have this sort of bulletproof 
ability to talk to patients about things. At that point, it doesn't matter whether their wife's dramatic about their snoring. It doesn't matter if they don't feel any pain points or they're not noticed. Once you have that, it's nice to have. So getting somebody to a test is a great thing. Um, we do not bill medical insurance for our testing. Um, that is a difficult thing because uh, dentists are not usually billing these uh, tests as through their medical insurance. So the cost for home testing is sort of all over the map. Um, we have a cash fee of $175 that includes the interpretation. Um, testing somebody for me is, is the accelerant to treatment. And so I don't make that my, uh, that's not my financial avenue. Now we still make a couple bucks on it. I think all in by the time I have my disposables for the test and the read and the interpretation, I'm about a hundred bucks. So to, to get $75 out of that, that's fine. Probably covers not all of my cost in trying to convince somebody to take one of those home. But, um, but that's where we're at. Now, one of the things when we're talking about sending home a test and we're talking about cost, there is much more to the cost than $175. When we talk about the alternative to them paying me a cash fee for convenience to test in their own home, that I, I think about it from my perspective, of course, I'm a rich dentist, right? So everybody looks at me like, yeah, you just do whatever you want because you're just a rich dentist. But I look at, would I spend $175 to do a test at my house versus maybe only a $40 copay to sleep overnight in a hospital um, where I can't use my own pillow and I got people looking at me while I'm sleeping? It's That for me is a no-brainer. And granted, $130 or whatever the difference is in that may may be a big deal to some of your patients. So I still offer that to them. Like, Hey, you can see if you want to bill your medical insurance, I can refer you to these guys. They'll keep you overnight in their hospital setting. And, and they can, you know, they can do it that way. And, and you may not have to pay $175. You may have your insurance cover this. I'm not sure how they handle insurance. So I always set that up like that. So when it comes to cost, I always talk about the cost of convenience from a home test. So, and no, I do not bill medical insurance for that. I bill medical insurance for almost everything else, but that yeah. one is one where you're not going to get paid. And if you do, it's not going to be easy. Um, so we just have cut that out. It's just a cash fee, convenience fee to be able to do this quickly, do it at their own house. We have a handful of testing units. So usually somebody can get a test from our office within a day or two. And yeah. so, um, so from that perspective, there's, there's a convenience fee associated with that. And I'll even use that term like, yeah, it's just kind of a little bit of a convenience fee. Your insurance isn't going to cover this, but you know, $175 to have this done at your house with your pillow in your bed and have this back and read by the same sleep physician that would give you the test in their hospital, you know, kind of a no brainer. So that is the home test cost and how much does it cost? In our practice, it's $175. I've seen that be as high as $350. Um, you probably don't want to go much lower than $175 um, or, or it's going to start to become a cost to you. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the, the home sleep test cost. When it comes to the cost of the appliance, this is where it gets a little bit, a little bit tricky. I don't can know I, if- I'll, Can I pause yeah. you real quick? So sure. I want to touch on home sleep testing costs. And the next question is actually insurance. So Dory, we're going to hold your question for a minute or two, but- um, I encourage you guys to go check out the website, fairhealthconsumer.org. On that website, put in your zip code and the medical code 95806. I almost guarantee you, I won't say 100%, but pretty darn close, that your medical facilities in your area, in network or out of network, are charging substantially more than $200 per test. 
In Los Angeles, it's like 300 to 900. In New York, it's like 1200 to 1800 for a home sleep test. So when you're talking about testing with you or testing with someone else, it's going to be cheaper to go with you most of the time if you're in the range that Dr. Manning's in. So when we look at that, that's one piece. So it's easier, it's faster. And there's another component in that most of the time doctors don't quote fees. I, I tried getting a CPAP. I said, how much is it going to cost? And they're like, I, I don't even, I can't even look that up. I have no idea, right? You guys probably know your fees, but you can definitely say, you know what? That's a better question for the front. And then I'm going to let Greg talk about some of the cost components, but I want to ask everyone here a question. Would you quote a restoration for a pain area in a patient's mouth without doing an x-ray first? And would you quote what it would cost to fix where the pain is without knowing what's wrong with the issue or with, with the area? So patient has pain on number eight. You're, how much is it going to cost to fix this? Well, what are you quoting? Are you quoting a cavity filling? Are you quoting a root canal? Are you quoting a crown? What, what, are you, what are you doing here? Yeah, Nick, thank you. Nick says her primary office manager would literally hurt her uh, for, for quoting something without getting an image or a diagnosing what's wrong with them. So before Greg talks about cost of the appliance, I encourage all practices we work with, it's inappropriate for you to, to treatment plan a condition that you have no basis or you have no, not that you don't have a basis for it, but you don't have a diagnosis for. Let's get a diagnosis and then figure out what the cost is because the snore guard is cheaper than uh, uh, an appliance. Uh, for sleep apnea and a night guard cheaper than a snore guard. Probably. I don't know how your fees are structured, but we got to find the right appliance and we have to know what's wrong to do that. So Greg, go ahead and hit on the appliance fee and how you, you were, you were just saying, you were saying almost exactly what I was going to say. We would never, ever think about, which by the way, Nick, I got to meet the, I got to meet Courtney. You know, I, I just <laughs> feel like, I feel like there's a, my wife is Courtney. I have a, an affinity for Courtney's. I just feel like we could be really good friends. Um, so um I was going to say exactly what Chad said and on no, on no planet as dentists, are we ever going to, you know, quote, quote fees. And I know people will call us on the phone and say, um, you know, Hey, Hey, what do you guys charge for a crown? We all have our thing that we say, we don't quote that over the phone. We say, well, it just depends on the type. It depends on the location. We'd really want to see you before we even decided if you need a crown, you know what I mean? There's few and far between people that just quote fees over the phone like that. Now, if they are in a consultation, I would highly recommend um, getting some coaching, maybe through Awaken to Sleep, about how to navigate, how to present fees to a patient in a way that creates value. Again, if somebody calls and they say, how much is a crown? And I say, it's a thousand bucks. They're like, oh, geez, rip off, boom, and hang up the phone. At that point, all they see is a number. They don't see any benefit in that number other than that number is what they're going to have less in their bank account in 20 minutes from now. So the idea behind how much does it cost is not a money question. It almost never is a money question. It's almost always a value question. How much is this valued at? And sometimes I will even, for some patients, even switch the verbiage on them like that. Hey, well, how much does one of these cost? Well, it's really, what are they valued at? You know what I mean? You know, cause where do you place your value? Because you could go get a CPAP machine, but if you don't want that, then this thing is invaluable mm -hmm. to what you have. You know what I mean? So we, we as sleep dentists still pull in that really crappy dentist mentality into this. 
we still pull that into like, oh, they're, they don't want, they don't want to pay for this. They don't, you know, it's the crown. Oh, maybe I should have done a filling. I don't know. We pull this in when really we need to remember that when it comes to general health, patients are willing to do a lot more just because they don't want anything to do with doing a filling or they're hoping we don't find anything at all when we're doing a dental exam does not mean that they don't want to know things when it comes to their general health. And oftentimes they do. So um, when it's how much does it cost? There's obviously a lot that goes into that. That's a very loaded question. You know, if you want to just fire from the hip and tell them what your cash fee is, you can just say, boom, my cash fee is $3,500. I like to say, the cost is depending on what service we provide. And then I start to tell what the services provided are. We talk about follow-up testing that's included. We talk about adjustments. We talk about warranties. We talk about all of the things that they're going to be getting from us through the treatment process. They have access to us, complete access to us for 12 months. We are, we're gonna help them. We're gonna navigate any of the pitfalls, hiccups, comorbidities, any of the things that come along with that. And they're not going to pay us again for that. That's going to be Mm -hmm. something that's all in there. So if we're going to talk cost, we need to talk about what is included in that cost. Because if you say, yeah, I'm going to make you this piece of plastic that you're going to put in your mouth and it's $3,500, they're gone. They're gone before they even know it. But if they realize what that's going to do for them, the way it could potentially change their outlook, their life, their, their health, then cost isn't so much a number as much as it is a value. So that's a dodgy way to say it. If I was listening to me as a dentist, hearing me say that, I would be rolling my eyes and saying like, way to dodge the question, buddy. Um, <laughs> you're, you're more than welcome to do that. Um, we're gonna get into medical insurance here shortly. I am in, in network with a lot of medical insurances. So it's an easy question for me, how much does it cost? I get to say all the time. I don't get to determine that your insurance company has uh, an allowable for that. And as far as what that allowable is, I'll have to have one of the girls that knows far more about insurance than I do go through that with you. But then it gives that patient to the front desk, just like we do with our dental practice. We give that to the front desk and let them go through. And and hopefully our front desk has come up with talking points, verbiage, value creation for our dental practice. There are different talking points, different verbiage that we have to do when we're talking about sleep. And let me just quickly let you know that I am in the process of redoing my entire front desk. The person that's been at my front desk the longest has been there only 17 months now. Um, We are retraining my entire front desk on value creation and selling a treatment plan when it comes to sleep. And I've, and will only ask Awaken to Sleep to do my coaching. They are coaching right now. They're doing the they're doing the verbiage. They're doing the talking points. They are coaching the girls at the front how to do that. And so I would recommend whoever you choose, that if you're going to send somebody to your front desk to finish this financial Mm. discussion, that they be coached because they need to be an extension of the value you've created from a treatment standpoint and be able to parlay that into the value of the dollars and cents associated with getting that treatment. And so that is an absolute coaching thing because nobody knows that right now. It, nobody, sleep and dentists are, in general, not a thing. You have to become a sleep dentist. So the fact that your front desk doesn't know that, that's okay. 
no front desk already knows sleep verbiage and how to sell sleep treatment plans and how to create value in sleep treatment plans. That's why if you're going to do this at any level, especially if you're going to do insurance or you're going to do payment plans and things like that, you're going to need that front desk coach, but it, it makes it easier for you in the back. You don't have to do that. You would never do that in your dental practice. You shouldn't have to do that in your sleep practice either. But if you're going to pass it off to somebody, those people need training. Those people yeah. need coaching. And, and this, yeah. is, this is a very niche place. You're not going to get that from your Dentrix website. You're not going to get that from <laughs> YouTube. This has got to be very specific to you. So, um, Chad, did I get up way too far off topic there? No, I was, I think we have some free YouTube trainings on this exact topic, but you're right. It, it you're, we're actually, we're taking actual recordings of your phone line and using that to train your team. I mean, that's, that takes two things. You as a practice owner to be willing to let us speak into your team at that level. And your team is coachable, which you know, it's interesting because we've been working with you. The, the team that's been transitioned out wasn't, you know, the team no. that is, is. Even if I had to buy the book they were all reading together to get them to read my book, <laughs> you know. Um, By the way, you just steam up your glasses reading that book. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's it, not yeah. my normal genre. Uh, anyway. Enough said, yeah, okay. Yeah. So uh, David said his home sleep, local physician is actually building 225 for a home sleep test. That is awesome that he's yeah, fantastic. doing that. Yeah, them, that's great. If that's the if that's the case, send them send them all there. If they feel more comfortable with that, again, home sleep testing is your is is your your buddy when you start yeah. to talk to them about things. Get that however you can. That's why I don't except, charge a lot. Except I wonder what his wait time is for home sleep tests. Yeah, but that yes. that's again that yeah. is that all things subject to that. You know, there's always <laughs> times time cost. Those are all the things yeah. we all care about. But again. I don't make a lot of money on home sleep testing. That is not a big revenue generator in my practice. Uh, sleep is sleep appliances and, and, and billing medical insurance and things like that. That does make me money in my practice. I've just chosen a model where the sleep testing, I need to be my, my sort of my backup, my ammo, my mm -hmm. talking point. So anyway, I can get that. If that means I'm sending somebody for $225 for a home sleep test, which we do. I mean, we have a sleep mm -hmm. study or a sleep lab really close that does a lot of home testing. And sometimes if patients, especially Medicare patients think that it's going to be completely covered, I say, yeah, go over there, talk to these guys. They're fantastic. And a lot of times I get back a home test uh, from them that they sent out. What I think is really hilarious is that this, this group that's right down the street from me, um, they use the exact same home testing units that I use. So when I get the, <laughs> when I get the, the report back, it's the one that I'm already getting anyway. So it's the exact same thing me to them. The difference is I don't have $75 for my time, but I've got this Whatever. sleep test. Yeah. So yeah, but that, that one's an easy one. If you've got a guy down the street doing it for $225 and they're billing their insurance and patients get warm and fuzzy about that, send them. Yep. You just want a copy of it because at that point you're going to want to, you're going to want to talk to them about it and go through it. But yeah, home testing is a vehicle only. If you're using home testing as a big revenue source, I would invite you to maybe just shift shift your mentality a little bit and say the sleep appliances, the treatment, the exams, the titrations, all of these kind of things. That's where I'm going to business capitalize. this up. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to capitalize on that. I don't need a huge capital coming in on my testing. Am I okay to say that? Is everybody okay with that? Yeah. I, I mean, I like it, but the other thing is that you're running tests with a disposable cost of $12 plus interp. So, I mean, yeah. like for you to run a test, you use them for titration testing and that impacts your medical billing codes or the visits. And like, there's a complicated workflow there, but you actually answered two questions with your last answer, which is about the fact that you don't know how much it's going to cost. 
because there's the other thing I just want to mention before we move on to the next question is deductibles. The average patient deductible is between $3,000 and $5,000 for a PPO insurance. If they haven't been to the doctor this year, which statistically, unless they're over like 55, they haven't been, that means they haven't met their deductible, meaning that they're going to pay for most of your appliance out of pocket uh, if, as an out-of-network provider. In-network, it's a slightly different game, but you look at that and it's really impossible to handle that cost. So again, what Greg said earlier, we build value. We talk to them about the fact that we're going to work with them and then we're now working together. One more verbiage piece, if you're a fee-for-service or a hybrid that does both, is um, the fact that we work with medical insurance, they don't always work with us. Yeah, that's a that's a classic line, and I think that's one that probably should be written down. Um, Chad, before <laughs> we move on to the yeah. next one, uh, I believe Dr. Dory had, had said something about the sleep physicians are, yep. are hesitant to sign, sign those, and, and in the question, it says there they won't sign up for a number of reasons and we get stuck in limbo. We've been there. We, we've had that happen. Um, back in the third minute of this game. Oh. Go ahead. I, I, I'm not playing the game. Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> Player on the deck. Go ahead. So the, I think one of the things that we would need to know to properly answer that question is, you know, for a number of reasons, I'd want to know what those, those reasons are. Um, yes, we do need RX signed, you know, to be able to bill DME and to be able to dispense DME, um, durable medical equipment. Um, as far as the hesitation goes, that might be something where if you're seeing a lot from the same place or the same physician, that, that might be a reach out. That might be a, hey, I, I would like to work with you. That might be a time where you get to sit down and talk with them. Um, that might also be one of those things where you might want to jump on a coaching call with, with Chad or with Awaken to Sleep and have them help you navigate some of those kind of things as far as verbiage goes. Maybe um, like he was saying earlier, there's some, there's some literature that might help because really I can't understand a physician that would that really does want the best for their patient putting up those kind of barriers when somebody's trying to help them you know there may be some pride involved with that you know we're just dentists again we're just the you know we're just tooth janitors and so if, if that's part of it we haven't had a lot of that just so you know I think I've had two of those in the last 10 years where they wouldn't sign an, an rx after I showed them a test and um or after we showed them what we were talking about so um, I, I think her question also is also about getting a prescription for the home sleep test. Um, so that you might want to use a telemedicine service. Um, and if, if they can't, uh, Thomas asked a similar question about, you know, medical insurance is not reimbursing if the home sleep test isn't prescribed by a physician. Um, that is a possibility. I don't believe, I believe it's about 50% of medical insurances are requiring those steps right now. Um, and that's why Greg is actually not getting you know, he's just doing cash testing because he can usually jump straight from a test to uh, an appliance. And with the letter of medical necessity from our interp services, he's able to get that covered. Now, I just, I'm going through this actually right now. I did a self-proctored test because we have a bunch of them here in the office. And I took that to my, med my, my medical office said, hey, here's a test. I did it last week. I need a sleep app. And they're like, all right, cool, done. And they prescribed it. Um, I can also say that if, you know, there are telemedicine services, uh, we have some stuff in the works on that right now too. And so if you do need a telemedicine consult for your medical insurances, it's plan and state and company specific. Um, you know, that's, that's a whole deal there. Uh, James, I also see a question about networking with insurance companies. I'm going to really encourage you to cover uh, 
schedule a call with a coach just because that's not the, really the topic of tonight. And if we have time at the end, we'll get to it. Um, but that's that's a whole nother topic for tonight. So, uh, Dory Thomas, I hope we got at least some clarity on that. Um, we'll hold your questions for the very end if we can talk a little bit more on it. But let's let's keep on keeping on. Um, I'm going to show you the next set of questions to show that we actually have them here, but we've actually kind of talked about them. So I'm going to give a one-liner answer, and if we need to revisit them at the end, we can. Uh, also, we had one person who asked about how to handle cost in the United Kingdom. Um, for you, sir, or uh, ma'am, we will encourage you to email us. In general, all the stuff we're talking about, we don't know the medical system in, in the United Kingdom. right? So um, our fifth objection was, the fact that patients often say it's not bad enough to pay that much. Um, this is basically comes into building value. This is something we teach in the home sleep test report review. I do encourage you uh, check out our YouTube channel. We got a video there. We also have some free trainings on our website, one specifically on how to review a home sleep test to get uh, some really great traction from the patient perspective, but it's building value and in, in saying the fact that what we've been talking about the entire time, you need help. We don't want you to die earlier. Let's, let's get this together. And the last thing is if your patient says no, then make sure you refer every single patient out to their primary care physician uh, for getting a CPAP because they need something. Yeah. yeah. And one other little talking point that could also go along with that, and I won't belabor it. Um, we, we should also let them know that many of these airway issues um, are, are progressive. You know, mm -hmm. they, they do worsen over time. So it's like a filling, you know what I mean? Yep. You, you get a small filling, you get a small cavity, a small filling is needed. You let that go. And as it progresses, you know, sometimes not only is the treatment more involved, but also the pain points are more involved, you know, mm -hmm. you, you know, when they're, they're not having pain with a small lesion on a tooth and a filling will suffice when somebody's not having a lot of pain and they don't feel like it's that bad to be able to treat that then and nip that in the bud is is much easier at that point. You know, I'm, I'm speaking more to the yep. younger patients that are going to say it's not bad enough because um, yep. that's usually what it is where they have youth on their side. They have muscle tonicity still on their side um, and just let them know this is periodontal disease. This is a cavity. This is something that gets worse over time when untreated. So how great would it be if we could just stop this and you don't become a statistic later because we've just let it get bad before we started to, to treat it. It makes no sense in dental. Like let's let it get really bad before we do this. Right. That's, you know, a talking point. We don't want this to get bad, bad before, you know what I mean? We don't want you to be depressed and brain fogged and, and have impotence. You know, I always like to throw out impotence, you know, you know, all of these things that go along with letting it get bad. So that's, that's something else that we can. Uh, and, and, and keep in mind, we never notice the squeaky door until someone points out the squeaky door and then it's all we can all we can do. So it might be that your next hygiene check or, or the next visit when they come in that they're ready to move forward because they've noticed it and it's only going to get worse. You know, it doesn't go away. Yeah. So yeah, great point, Greg. Um, we kind of talked about this a little bit. Um, Greg is in network <laughs> with a lot of insurances. Um, so if you want to, I mean, touch on that, we have a lot of clients who, you know, but I think what you said earlier about going through the process the bureaucracy of going through insurance is incredibly challenging and time consuming. And usually by the time it's all said and done, it's about as expensive as if you had just gone with an out-of-network provider, at least for sleep in general. Yeah. And, and one of the things that we is probably worth mentioning right here is that everybody, it seems like everybody that we come in contact with on webinars or coaching sessions or, or, or weekend courses that we do, um, uh, there's so many that feel like 
you know, dental sleep medicine and medical insurance are married and they're not, they're not married. Yeah. Um, in fact, they're divorced and they live in different States. If, if you want to look at it like that, they don't have to be now, if, if you can bring the two together and you can marry those two together and it's a happy marriage and everybody gets along well, yeah, it works out not only for the doctor, but also for the patient, but sometimes, you know, it just doesn't work out that way. I would hate for somebody to not incorporate sleep in their practice because they don't want to play the medical insurance game. I'm the silly one who decided to get in network with everything. Um, for us, it's been a, it's been nice because when we market to physicians, a lot of times they want to know if you're in a network provider that helps, but like anything else, I think if you gun to head, every single dentist in the world wishes badly that they were fee for service. Nobody is dying to like get raked over the coals by, by PPO pricing and, and, and have to bill and get things denied and, you know, narratives. Nobody wants that. So if we could be fee for service, I think we all would. And so if we think about that same thing with our, with our sleep practice, you know, if you can, if you can eke this out and gain traction as a fee for service sleep dentist, you'll find that you're probably making more money and you're, you're, administrative costs and, and time is going to be a lot less. We've done this for years now. So it's, it's become a little bit easier for us. We've, we've established some relationships based on being a network provider, but I'm also not a fee for service. You know what I mean? I, I get to tell cash patients that maybe our an appliance is $3,500 in my office. I get to tell somebody that's Medicare that it's free. Like they don't pay anything. And Medicare <laughs> writes me this big whopping $1,300 check. So, you know, that's kind of one of the, the trade-offs. So, you know, if you're thinking volume and you're thinking like, maybe I want to do this forever and this is all I want to do. Yeah, maybe you think about that. There's third party, but just to quickly answer that question that we brushed over, yeah. there's third party providers that will help you for a fee, get in network yep. with medical insurance if you want to do that. Yeah. And I mean, I'll just say this, medical insurance should be a bonus, not a bailout. It's, yeah, it's, it's a boon to your practice, but it, if you're starting, let me just say, save your front office a lot of headache, maybe your office manager, maybe yourself, and just start off making some money and helping some people. And then if your patients respond incredibly negatively to insurance, then then adjust, pivot, put on that, that hat and go learn it. But in, in general, the majority of our practices have not seen, I'm talking like 99 out of 100 practices have not seen substantial friction or a lack of success and sleep by not incorporating medical billing as a, as a required component. They bill as a courtesy. They help prepare the documents for the patients to go submit for reimbursement, uh, but you can build value and help people and be profitable and then expand as your program generates revenue. Um, that's really been a, our hallmark for a lot of years is to teach that message. So our, um, our second to last question uh, is, will it work for me? Uh, that was a question we got patients being worried that it will work. Now the questions we got were generic. That was the actual question. Will it work for me? So um, Greg, you want to hit that real quick? I mean, yeah, really it's pretty quick. easy. Yeah. Really quick. Will it work for me? Um, look, one of the things that we probably ought to, to go over really quickly is that if you're treating a mild or moderate case um, and, and you're looking at some of the comorbidities and you're looking at a few of these things, the longer you go, the more you'll be able to kind of assess like, hey, this is probably a patient that's going to do well. But for just in general, I don't always say, yes, this will work. What I like to say is something like this. If a patient is mild or moderate, I let them know. If we're speaking in generalities, 
patients that have the same numbers that you have tend to do well with this, or this is in the wheelhouse of somebody that has the same condition that you have or the same severity that you have. Now, those are ways to skate around it by saying like, yeah, we think it's going to work. And if it's a mild, a mild case of sleep apnea, yeah, it's, it's likely going to work. It, it, there's a really, really, really high probability. Just like nobody's guaranteeing their dental work because you cannot guarantee somebody's biology. You can't guarantee what somebody's DNA says. So if you, you know, you can say, Hey, look, it's healthcare. You can't guarantee healthcare. I can't guarantee the way you sleep. I can't guarantee any of that kind of stuff. But traditionally, when we see patients with the same level of severity that you have, we tend to see a lot of success or for patients that are, are suffering at the same level you are, this is usually in there in the wheelhouse where they do well. That's just a couple of things that you can say. Um, now, if they're severe, that's a different, a different thing for a different day. We can, you know, work, does it work? It, it has a little bit of a different definition that we don't need to get into right now. But just so you know, I've been using a sleep appliance now for 10 years. Um, it does work. Um, it is to the point now where if I don't have it when I sleep, uh, I've traveled eight hours in a car back from a vacation to grab one because I left it home. Uh, and that's where I'm at with it. So I also have hundreds of patients that come in for their cleanings or come in for their follow-ups for their, for home sleep testing and different things like that, that tell me, I have one lady that says, this is my, this is the, my equivalent of my blankie. She says, this is, you know, like some kids need their blankie to go to bed. I, I can't do this. It's like a pacifier for her. Um, she gets panicked if she doesn't put it in. That's how much it works for her. So yeah, just know this is not smoke and mirrors. This is not, this isn't voodoo. This isn't witch doctory. This is actual FDA cleared treatment for sleep apnea. And it does work. You need to trust that it does work. Yeah. I, um, I had to get a crown a couple of weeks ago and I, well, ha I, I was scared to go to sleep because I couldn't wear it for a few minutes. So, um, it was, it was crazy. Um, just how great, like how much I missed it. And I actually ended up wearing my appliance and pulling my crown off. <laughs> and I actually had the permanent crown when I went back in to get the temporary re-cemented, but it was, uh, I'm getting a CPAP. That's how desperate I am while I get orthodontics done, uh, so that I can be okay. So, yeah. Um, Yes, David actually has a great point. I was just, you beat me to it, David, uh, is that Prosominus has a published uh, paper on the Prosominus Evo uh, that has 90% effectiveness for mild to moderate and yes, uh, severe as well. I think it's 82% if I remember correctly. We have those studies, folks. Again, if you want any of the studies we reference on these webinars, please just email us, submit a content form. Use Actually, best, use the chat portal on our website. Super handy. We can send you it right there. Uh, or email it to you using that. Um, the last question, and and again, we'll kind of hit this lightly because this is a course <laughs> that uh, we do often, uh, is the appliance makes me gag. Um, or as some of you added, the appliance makes me uncomfortable. Um, Greg, what, <laughs> what do you, you've been doing this for a long time. So uh, how does that work? Well, here's the thing. Um, if it's, if it's just one of these silly objections because they don't want to do it, take it as a silly objection and, and they don't want to do it. That being said, um, it is a little bit of a mouthful. It's not 
overwhelming. I, my very first appliance was an old Herbst appliance. It was two metal bars, two big pieces of acrylic that were thick. You know, those, these non-milled appliances are, they were a little thick, um, but I did fine. I used it for three years before some of these newer ones started coming out and they did fine. Um, I don't have a, a huge gag reflex, although I'm not abhorrent to, you know, having something gag me. Um, but if somebody does have a big gag reflex, um, we just talked about Prosomnus Evo. Um, Prosomnus makes a milled appliance that is extremely streamlined. It is very minimal. In fact, I've got, because the way they, the Prosomnus Evos are made, you get a few trays. These are my trays right here, the ones that I'm not using. Um, they're extremely streamlined. There is not a lot to that. Um, what's even crazier is Prosomnus makes one called a lingualless appliance where all of the acrylic on the lingual sides are devoid. And because of the precision nature of the way they're made, they snap in. They don't need a lot of bulk there. So if you do have a patient that gags, I would highly recommend grabbing uh, one of these newer appliances um, like the Prosomnus Evo, Lingualis, IA, any of these things. Uh, Somnomed makes one called the Avant that's quite nice too, that's very streamlined and thin, but um, maybe staying away from something that locks them closed, like a tap appliance. Not that a tap is not a great appliance, but sometimes being held closed can panic and, and make somebody want to gag. Um, sometimes those that have the bigger adjusting mechanisms in the cheek can cause it to feel like a mouthful and gag. And then anything that's maybe not milled and it's just traditional biz acrylics that are made just for viability, they need to be a little thicker. You can stay away from those. So that's a, that's a quick and dirty answer to yeah. the question. What about a gagging patient? Because these aren't on the palate, we don't get as much gagging, but some people just having a lot in their mouth makes them want to gag, take less in their mouth. Get some of these newer milled appliances um, that are streamlined and, and extremely durable, um, like, like an Evo or an Avon. Yeah. Our friend David actually posted the Evo Select. I've got one here. It's kind of hard to see, but it is so, the Select is for your petite mouth people who are just, I mean, it's got nothing there. So um, yeah. And then actually we have a, uh, one of our regulars, Stan asked, uh, they're afraid of teeth or bite, uh, that it'll shift. Um, so yeah, I mean, what, that's a great one. Um, you know, they've had ortho in the past. Um, I, sorry, I'll just say this cause this is, I have a full plan. I'm getting ortho done traditional ortho. And I, my plan is my retainer, my nighttime retainer is actually gonna be a prosomnus because of the precision. It yes. will retain my bite. Uh, they've got a very, they've got studies that show minimal tooth movement, but Greg for maybe, you know, yeah, you know, I think prosomnus or yeah, well, and most of these newer appliances, I think if somebody is worried about that, you say, Hey, look, if you've just been through orthodontics or you're just, you just really have a pretty smile and you're not dying for teeth movement, that that's what you tell them. You say, look, there's ways around that you've, but it, it does require a little bit more, um, of a higher end appliance. You know what I mean? Mm. Something that's a little bit better, like, like a prosomnus Evo is probably better than a, than a Essex retainer. You know what I mean? They're more durable, but they're fabricated with that level of precision. You're not going to get a lot of teeth movement with that. Now, jaw is a different story. That's for also a different day. You know, most patients do well with their jaw if we, if we train the patients to get their bite back in. But to say that you can't have a little bit of, of bite, you know, the way teeth come together, especially in the early morning hours when you first wake up. Yeah, that's, that's again, it's a different day, different thing. But from tooth movement standpoint, 
some of these older appliances used to use ball clasp retention, sort of like our old flippers that they'd have the ball clasps going across there and they would drive <laughs> into the embrasures of the teeth and you'd come back and somebody's got like an open contact and they're packing food up in there because those have been driving those teeth apart. Yeah, obviously you don't, you don't want that. So if, if you don't want that, then don't use those appliances, you know, use something that's going to be a little, almost more of like a retainer, truthfully. Yeah. And I'll say this folks, um, we do have a, a one day course dedicated to what happens after the patient says yes to the treatment. They, they we're not going to cover the workflow up to that. It's just, what is the, the impressions visit entail all the way through closing a case up with efficacy testing. That's a one day virtual course, um, with Dr. Elokofer. We have one in June as well. I think it's the weekend before our, um, implementation course or level up course. So if you guys want a discount for that, just email us again. We'll, we'll get you set up for that. Um, there, there's just some really cool stuff, folks. And, and I guess to wrap this up, uh, we do have these questions here about physician relationships and medical billing and, and components like that. Again, this isn't a medical billing lecture today. Um, we're happy to help coach you on those kinds of things later. But uh, I would just say, don't let objections get in the way of succeeding and helping people. Help people and make money. Most people want help. They just don't know that they need help. And if you could offer to alleviate their daytime fatigue, their uh, bogginess in the morning, their bruxism, their snoring, their sore rib syndrome, you know, that's when their wives do this all night long. That's what we're doing here. And their objections are just in the way of them getting the help they desperately want. So Greg, if you want to, if you want to close us up. Yeah, I'll close with the way we started. Um, and, and it just is kind of just finishing what you were saying. And that is, we talked about all of the things that are negative, the potential negativities associated with, with objections. Um, just remember that there are so many patients that are literally, I guess, dying to have you help them. Um, <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you. That was um, good. But, but, yeah, I didn't yeah. even mean for it to be like that, but they really, really want your help. They need your help. They're excited about you getting them help. They're excited about you being able to do what you do to help them out. These are pain points. These are things, not everybody's going to put these objections up. And I don't want us to have the mentality of I'm going in looking for a fight with these patients because they're going to just throw up all of these objections. Go in with the idea that these patients need you, you need them, and you're going to help them get what they need. So that's, that's the overall mentality that I want to leave with and not just like, we're going to conquer all these objections. It's know that there's these objections are temporary. These objections are only getting them to help. Overcoming these objections are only getting them to, to the help that they need. But so many of them don't have any objections. So we don't want to have that be our overriding mentality is always overcoming objections. It's more about how can I help? What can I do to help these patients understand the help that I can offer them? So, and end and with the way we started. Awesome. One last thing, folks, that um, we're going to throw into the email that you get after this is we're actually going to throw a condensed, not version of this. It's not really the same, but we built a 20-minute version that covers some of your objections generically. Uh, it covers um, medical insurance, patients who don't think they have a problem, and then also um, excuse mentality. So that was not an objection we got. I was kind of surprised. But patients who say, I don't think I have sleep apnea or an airway concern, I have um, fibromyalgia, or I have frequent urination. And we actually include six different studies um, in there that will show you that those things actually relate to sleep and can be caused by an airway concern. So in your email, look out for that link. Uh, that's a great way to get your team started. It's kind of a free coaching call. It's 20 minutes long. 
do it on lunch break, that kind of thing. So with that, we're going to close out the meeting tonight. Thank you all. If you have questions, like some of the ones we were not, unable to get to tonight, please schedule a call with the coach. Um, we have partnerships in every area of the industry. We are very happy to connect you with the people that you need to get connected with to get going. Um, have a wonderful night and we'll catch you on our next event. Thanks guys. Thank you for joining us on this webinar. If you'd like more information on dental sleep medicine education, coaching, or home sleep testing services, please feel free to reach out to us at awakentosleep.com forward slash edu or at info at awaken2sleep.com. Thank you and have a great day.